Are you still there? Oh, that's Patrick Egan, and let's say hello and welcome to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Hello, Mr. Egan. How are you, sir? It's good to be back in the podcast, right seat again. <laughs> it is good. You know, things are busy, but, uh, well, I don't have to tell you that. I know you're, you always stay busy uh, mm. doing things in this field, but, uh, we, uh, you know, it's good to be back. We uh, did pass 300,000, 301,000 listens um, just recently here, which we have to do a 300,000 download show with special music and everything and who knows with guests and whatever else. But I, I'd like to celebrate that. I mean, that's quite an accomplishment. What do you think, Gene? You know, we we started this thing just yakking about it and uh it's kind of taken off on its own no pun intended and you know there's been a lot of information come out in these little 45 minute segments there have been and it is good to uh you know i mean i noticed when i uh and i you mentioned this to me before too but you you go places and people are like hey i recognize that voice wait a minute you're that guy, man you're you're the dude that (laughs) on the podcast thing and and you know i listen to that and I know you get the same thing. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, it's not like either one of us have this, you know, terribly uh, distinctive voices, but uh, maybe it's that, that Texas drawl that, that pulls them in or, you know, that uh, that clipped kind of Northern California accent. I don't know. Oh, uh, hey, watch it there. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's good. I mean, I'm I'm glad that people are are listening and they're getting a lot of information out of the show. It makes me happy. Uh, you know, it takes a little bit of work to do these. People, you know, I mean, got to line folks up and you got to get line the right folks up. Um, and there's always like a backlog of people that we want to talk to, but you know, it's hard to get it all together and do everything that we're doing. This show, today's show, is going to be good. We're gonna we're gonna talk about <clears throat> the drone hype cycle in episode 91 here. Uh, and our guest is Colin Snow, but we'll bring him on in a minute. But first, I wanted to, I wanted to, as I always do, I ask you if there's any news stories that caught your attention. And there seems to be a lot of news stories about our um, our unmanned friends that are uh, making the news. And I know you wanted to say something about it. So, Gene, please, uh, if you'd like to. Yeah, you know, a lot. A lot of our friends out there are are flying, or I don't know, um, you know, maybe people who are not as qualified as they should be out flying, and I'm afraid, and I'm going to predict this, I'm afraid that we're going to see a backlash, uh, the likes of which nobody anticipated when it comes to operating unmanned aircraft out here in the NAS, as we so love to do at the most inopportune times and in the most inopportune places. I mean, there's already, there in your state, there is a reward 
of some big money for a guy who was flying in a drop zone stirring a fire. Please, can, I can't imagine a worse place to be flying. I know you want yeah, to get I mean, the pictures, I know that, but this is just ridiculous. Well, and they had to dump the retardant somewhere. They couldn't land. Um, yeah, it's just bad all around. And I think, I don't think people understand. I mean, you know, there's there's also a lot of hype out there about, you know, I'm going to be a, I'm a, I'm, you know, disaster drone guy. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to help people. It's like, well, you're not really helping, you're hindering. And I'm going to tell you what, I don't think people realize this. I think they need to, uh, I think they need to stand down on the hype. Because as soon as one of these incidents happens and there's a, lo- a life lost, you're gonna look at you're, somebody's gonna be looking at criminal charges and some serious criminal charges. And yeah. the legislation that you talked about in each state now where this has happened, there's legislation's already been written and is going through. And hey, we gotta ban drones and yada yada. So it's not gonna be good. I'm gonna get an international black eye. We don't want a black eye like we got over there in Nepal here if you want to see this uh, be an industry in the future. But uh, I don't think people understand the seriousness of, of this. I mean, I know you work on it all the time, but these people aren't out there horsing around. No. No, they're not. And uh, these guys are flying low and slow and heavy, and uh, they're putting their lives on the line, and we we can't afford to cause them any more stress in their jobs. It, it keeps them from... The important thing is saving lives. If, and one of the things I'm going to start, this is going to be my mantra, if you fly, they can't. If you fly, they won't. And a life can be lost. So just think of it that way. When you want to go get that picture, if you fly, they won't. Somebody could die. I hate to be, you know, kind of uh, very strident about this, but it's going to happen. Unfortunately, it's going to happen, and it's going to be bad for the industry. That's serious. All right. Well, you know, hopefully people will heed the warning. I'd like to introduce our guest, segueing right into something else, but um, our guest, Colin Snow, a.k.a. the drone analyst, sometime contributor to SUS News. Colin, are you out there? I am, and thanks for having me on the show. Hey, thanks for being on the show. We're gonna, we're gonna, you know, I, I, I don't know if you listen to the show, but we, we talk about real stuff here. It's not fluff. We're not talking about, you know, the hypothetical. It's all facts here. So I, I, I got to get this guy on here. I know, you know, in, uh, in our off time, we meet up, we see each other, and we, we share, we share some laughs, we guffaw, we talk about uh, some of the industry stuff out there. And uh, how far from reality things are in the valuation, um, you know, people ask me, they say, well, you know, what's this industry going to be worth? I say, well, there's estimates anywhere from $2 billion to $92 billion and anywhere in between. So it's your guess. And they usually laugh. And so we laugh about that. So uh, maybe you can um, tell the, the audience a little bit about yourself, because I know who you are, but they don't know who you are. Well, sure. Uh, so my official title is uh, CEO and founder of Drone Analyst Research and Advisors. And um, I- I've actually been uh, a follower of the work that both uh, Patrick and Gene have been doing uh, over the years. Um, I, my, the history of my flying drones goes way back to the 70s when, when I was in high school and I built radio-controlled model aircraft with my father. 
And after college, I, I, I took a strong interest in photography, and I did aerial photography from Cessnas and the NOAA Hurricane Hunters, the P3s out of Miami. Uh, but my work career, I started in manufacturing, and I was a manager for many years at Olympus Corporation and their medical device division. And I kind of participated firsthand when that industry moved from optical mechanical devices where they put film cameras on them um, and you had to physically attach it to video-based devices. So I kind of was in the transition of film photography into digital photography. And then uh, later as a research analyst in Silicon Valley, I, I focused on enterprise software vendors and systems because prior to that, I'd worked for those firms like Oracle and PeopleSoft and most recently SAP. Um, and I've been, to, so I've been an underwater photographer and video for years, and with the advent of quadcopters, I started uh, looking on the forums, and um, lo and behold, uh, there was uh, uh, this guy named Patrick Egan and uh, uh, Gary Mortimer, and uh, I saw what they were writing, and I thought, gee, I want to go into that business. I want to be a professional uh, aerial photographer. I love photography, and I love quadcopters, and um, and I started building them and doing, uh, you know, a flying of them back in 2010. And, and, and I did what many hobbyists did back then, which was program flight controllers and attach GoPro cameras to capture aerial videos. And, and I was really hooked. Uh, but in 2012, I started Drone Analyst uh, because of my background as a research analyst. And um, I started doing research on commercial drones and, and uh, educating this with, kind of with the goal of educating startups and investors in the industry and regulatory trends. Because nobody else was was doing that, um, and and plus I was reading, you know, suspiciously sounded pretty hyped as I began to read the uh, reports on on how big this drone industry is going to become. It sounded very Silicon Valley-ish to me, which is uh, and there's this cognitive dissonance here in Silicon Valley. It's called pro innovation bias. And that's when you have a proponent of an innovation that tends to overvalue its usefulness and undervalue its limitations. And so I said, well, you know, I'm going to make that my mantra about my, my, uh, my firm, and let's do real fact-based research, and, and, and let's, let's come up with data as best we can. And so since that time, uh, you know, I've been putting together a, a staff and a group of advisors. And, and as you mentioned, of course, one of the things I do is write a column for the SUAS News uh, called The Market. Yes, and it's good. And, yeah, there was a few things I wanted to hit on there. And I think that's from the New Balance sneakers all the way up is one thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Silicon Valley looks at things. And the other is I came up with a title for your book, Underwater uh, Photographer, <laughs> you know, Marketplace for Drones. Yeah. Because <laughs> I feel like an underwater photographer because <laughs> I can't go out and make money doing photography. Yeah, really. And I don't have a wetsuit. Uh, that's funny. So, um, yeah, you know, I, it, it, all of that makes sense. If I follow what you do, I think that uh, you have some some interesting insights, and I, I I do like the column. But I want to want to march into the last time I saw you was at the NASA UTM, and we got a lot of real estate to cover today, so I'm going to kind of push. But uh, I wanted to get some of the takeaway from you. I did talk to PK this morning, uh, actually before the podcast, and I got. I, I, I hit him with some takeaway, but I want to hear your takeaway. Let's let's hear some of your thoughts on those in attendance, if possible. Mm, yeah. So let, let's give a little background maybe to, to your reader. So the, the NASA UTM conference was the Unmanned Aerial Systems Traffic Management Convention. 
that, that was held last week at, at NASA Ames Research Center at Moffett Field in California, and that's here in Silicon Valley. And it was kind of host, co-hosted with NASA and the, and, uh, the Silicon Valley chapter of AVSI. Um, and they, there were presentations given by Amazon and Google and Cisco and the FAA and the NTSB and the DOD and the, and the California DOT and some law enforcement and others. And there were panel discussions and vendor displays and demonstrations. And this all started a, a few years ago because NASA has been kind of working to develop – well, PK has been heading up the, the development, and that's Dr. Paramo Kopadekar. Um, he's, he's at the NASA Ames Research Center. Um, he's kind of a, 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 the person who's been spearheading this. And this unmanned aerial traffic management system is, this, is supposed to be this cloud-based system that will help manage traffic at low altitudes and avoid collisions so that UAS or being can operate beyond the visual line of sight. And the concept is pretty simple, uh, but, but, the, but the solution's complex, right? The concept is even though drones can be autonomous, you still got to have some, some roads and you got to have some track of lights, just like you do with cars. Um, so the UTM is, is this thing that's designed to incorporate geofences so operators can know which areas to avoid, and it's supposed to help operators with a better understanding of predicting wind and congestion and offer terrain and man-made object database to help them avoid collisions with buildings and stationary objects. And it's a massive undertaking. Uh, um, and it's all, you know, built on a system that's supposed to tell you, the UAS operator, all these constraints you need to avoid and gives you the idea of where you can fly safely. And that's the idea anyway. So it's, it's supposed to be a repository of all the information you need to operate in the airspace. So um, if there's a constraint due to weather or traffic or airport or other operations, it'll tell you uh, what you can do and maybe even ch help you choose a different path. And so this thing is supposed to come in four builds with four risk criteria, right? The first build was, is this thing just for unpopulated areas? And, and, uh, and, and all the way to the fifth, fourth one, which will be kind of reserved for mission in urban environments. Um, so and in between, you've got operations that, and builds of the UTM that will allow operations in sparsely populated areas and, and, um, and, and, you know, and and what will be the best option where there will be limited contact with with manned aircraft? You know, for example, for package deliveries and that type of thing. And each build sort of enables a certain different type of mission, um, and and provides services and supports those missions for the build. And again, it's a very it's it, it's a very complex thing. Um, and, and what I thought what I saw in the attendance and there was over about a thousand people uh, and uh, and. Um, and at the last minute, you know, I was told 100, you know, 130 people were added to the, to the attendance, and they were NASA employees who showed up. And it was interesting to talk. I talked to folks that I'd never talked to before because I, I make the rounds to pretty much most of the major shows around the country, you know, East Coast and West Coast. And um, as you know, um, you know, most of the commercial show, shows here are people that are in the industry. But here in this conference, it seemed like to me is that I talked to people, and, and, and you can tell me who you talked to. I was kind of taken back that there's sort of this new group of people that are interested in drones. They've been in aviation. They're in NASA. So you've got aviation. Now you've got some vendors. Um, it sort of was a different crew of people than I had seen from previous shows. Yeah, I would concur with that. I, uh, 
I don't know. You know, from my experience, I've been at this almost 12 years now, 10 years definitely for uh, their integration. It seems like every two to three years, there's there's kind of an ebb and a flow. And people that you have seen around kind of flow out. New people come in. Um, new These ideas are talked about. People, oh, God, it's groundbreaking. And, oh, you know, and, and all the rest of it. Maybe it's a little bit more of a cynical view, but uh, – there, there definitely the group is growing. There are new people. I think that there's people that, um, you know, I mean, you, you did a, it was a pretty good Eclipse Notes version of what the UTM is. And I, I guess I assume, and we've talked about this too, but I assume that a lot of people know what this, this is and the general premise of it is or whatever. There's information out there on the UTM. Um, but, you know, I do think there's a lot of people that are coming in and they're, and they're very optimistic about what they saw there. And did you, and that, you know, my next question for you is, did you see anything new and groundbreaking, uh, groundbreaking, no pun intended on that one, but uh, anything new? Uh, well, not really. You know, besides the, the Airware demo, um, there was nothing really new that, it wasn't to me, um, because I've sort of been following it. You know, I, I'd seen a demo of Airware software before and at their launch earlier this year. Um, and the demo at UTM was more of a proof of concept integration between airware flight control and mission planning and the UTM system. But it's really not a live mm-hmm. ongoing system. It's sort of, you know, what, what we call in Silicon Valley concept where, right? There's not actual Ooh, systems. That's charitable. Um, <laughs> that's very <laughs> charitable. Because I was uh, going to call it something else. But okay. Yeah, yeah. It's good to have well, our guests on here. Yeah, everybody's ooh and and remember, I come from the enterprise software space, so you know I, 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 I'm guilty of setting these things up because we did these kind of demos all the time. Uh, you know, we did hear from Google and Amazon, and and you might consider that new. In at least it was new to you know what they were talking about. Uh, so Google talked about the role of the airspace provider. You know, under this concept, operators would fly plans and. Uh, which would then coordinate these with other ASPs or uh, airspace service providers and ensure non-conflict flights. Um, and, 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 but Google, you know, the, so Google's been saying that, that they're going to develop this uh, lightweight, low-cost, uh, dual-band ADSB transceiver, and Free Flight Systems was there, and they prototyped the lightweight one, and um, you know, Amazon sort of detailed its plans for the first time, so we saw, uh, um, you know, uh, Gur Kimchi describe Amazon's idea for the drone traffic management system, and, and, and Amazon's view is that, you know, um, they basically said, well, let's segment Class G airspace. Uh, you know, airspace under 200 feet would be designated for low-speed local drones, and drones in that zone wouldn't require as much sophisticated collision and avoid technology, and airspace from 200 to 400 feet, well, we'd reserve that for high-speed transit, um, you know, and that's the highway for drones, And uh, but wow. if you're going to operate there, you've got to have a sophisticated sense and avoid technology, um, and finally, you'd have this buffer between 400 feet and 500 feet, and, and that buffer would then prevent that, you know, create that separation uh, between drones and, and, and manned aircraft. Um, so, you know, if you want to call that new, that's that's sort of a. It was at least it was they were it was new that they were putting their idea public. Well, that and the what they were calling it. It's not really new. And you know, here, spoiler alert. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna start raining on the parade. But uh, uh, 
you know, people talked about that. There was a little feedback on the, the altitude separation, and I heard uh, Gene over there going, whoa, and hey, and, and uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. yeah. He's not the only guy because people are like, hey, uh, what about between two and 400 feet? I want to use that. What about as a hobbyist? And what about, and yeah. it seems to me yeah. that what we're, we're having here is this, you know, I heard, you know, best equipped, best served. Yeah. And I and I hear these things and you're like, uh, okay, yeah. Um you know, obviously I haven't been around that long. I, I, I do say, okay, it's good, you know, you get the heavyweights in here. Heavyweights have a lot of political horsepower and tons of money, but uh I think that they're buying their own propaganda. The other thing with the cheap and lightweight ADSB is it already has existed since two thousand and I don't know, mid two thousands. Mm-hmm. There has been lightweight ADSB that's two hundred dollars. Miter came up with it, marketed it to uh, R3 or R cubed, um, and people have been working on it. Okay, so what are the issues with ADSB? You know, uh, equipage. You know, everybody's got to be. I'm going to have to be equipped with it, and you know that doesn't even. Uh, there's not even a mandate till 2020, and it's not everybody doesn't have to have it. Um, and then the other big kick in the shins is that the uh, FAA doesn't plan on supporting a public algorithm for the detect and avoid, let's say using ADSB for detect and avoid. Mm-hmm. Huge liability um, exposure. And somebody like Google could, you know, shoulder that because we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, I've talked to people about insurance on this, and if, if one of these things did bring down you know, uh, you know, let's say a big part 121 aircraft, it would be on the lines of the payout would be like something like terrorism. It'd be so much, you'd probably bankrupt a company like Google or Facebook or Amazon. Uh, that's how much the payout would be. So <clears throat> those are some big barriers for that to work uh, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And then the other thing I I, I got as far as takeaways, people are saying, oh, you know, and, and again, I don't think that we're really looking at the scale, and this is going to come into the second segment here, which we've got eight minutes left. We're probably going to run over today, but people keep saying we need all of these things. The industry needs to do things to kind of offer themselves up as being involved in this. And that industry needs to build this UTM. Industry needs to design it. Industry needs to run it. Industry needs to maintain it. Industry needs to catalog and keep all of the data. Industry needs to, you know, do the aircraft registration. And industry needs, well, it just keeps going and going. And when you're talking about 800 or 1,000 aircraft or 10,000 aircraft, that may be doable. Well, when we start talking about how many of uh, these aircraft are going to be out there if we get the right regulation, you're talking about something, my estimate, privately, probably an investment of about $200 million. Mm-hmm. And if it's public and it's NASA and SAA, you're probably talking about $600 million to a $1 billion. Anybody yeah, want to add to that? that you got to triple that if the government's involved. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, I... I even hear, you know, I mean, you know, uh, this is this is not the first time that NASA set aside money for integration of aircraft into the uh, into the NAS. Hmm. And uh, you know, it seems like a lot of money, but you know, by by, by let's say uh, private standards, yes, it's a lot of money. Public standards, not so much. So, I mean, I don't. That's how I see the issue. Any, uh, Gene, you want to you want to add on any of these comments? I'm sitting here nodding my head up and down with these these dollar figures, and uh, you're right. It's amazing how quickly the money goes away and nothing gets done. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of my. I have a you know I've 
I don't know if you guys know this. I, I'm vocal now and again about <laughs> the problems that I see. And I'm still, I'm like fit to be tied, to be honest, that we've come this far, and both of you gentlemen have seen the timeline that SUAS News has done. And some people think, oh, well, this just kind of started, you know, a couple of years ago and things are getting now. No, 23 years, even longer than that. This, this problem has been being worked on. It's like next gen, you know, 25 years. They're not really connected. Um, they are big problems, but the, what has not been established is what the risk is to the NAS. What risk do these aircraft pose to the NAS? And I'm, I'm almost blue in the face with this one. How can you even build a system or talk about integrating anything if you don't, if you have no idea what the risk is to the NAS? That is like the cornerstone here. So that needs to be done on both the aircraft and people on the ground and then the visual acuity uh, baseline for, for seeing a void uh, and then detecting a void. I didn't hear any of that at the, at, from anyone that I talked to there. A lot of people told me, oh, yeah, you're right, this needs to be done. But it seems like anything that's like, you know, difficult just kind of gets uh, pushed to the wayside. Any comments on that? No, I think you're no, right. I, I, I don't see, you know, I, it is difficult. And, uh, it, you know, the question again, who's going to run it? Uh, who's going to run the UTM? And, and what's it going to be based on? What's the risk strategy? You know, I, I, I think of the risk strategy and uh, I, I think of what the European Aviation Safety Administration is beginning to do, right, they're looking at uh, introducing sort of a regulatory framework for UAS um, based on the risk. Um, but, again, I don't see data based on these, right, that they have three categories and, um, you know, there's, there, there's a low and medium and high risk certification category for, um, for operating, you know, limitations. But, but I don't understand where they're getting the data based on that right We're, yeah it's empirical it's empirical data yeah. well i mean you know let's let me i want to see it i mean i've seen some good studies come out of of australia and i've passed those around and they're kind of like reports about reports but nobody's really just like buckled down and say okay here's what we this is how we're going to do it and i'm i'm trying this in my spare time i'm, I'm actually trying to secure private funding to start doing this so maybe we can start getting the ball rolling uh, it just has to be done because the thing is, is you know, I've told people, you know, like there was another um, statement came out from Alpha today talking about, you know, equivalent level of safety and equivalent level of certification. And, you know, maybe you saw this too at UTM. This is another thing. I'm, I started to see D0178 certification now in print, on flyers, in the room. Did you notice that, Colin? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a real – yeah. Yeah, this is a, that's a real change. Most people, even if these are the big companies that are in the news all the time, even I, you know, I don't even know if they've even bought into this yet. Because I mean, I've asked them, "What are you going to do with the software certification?" Huh? Software? What's that? You know, yeah. I, I can't find anybody in the civil aviation authority role globally who's like, "Oh, regular beyond visual line of sight um, operations without uh, software certification." Are you going to go with that? No. Not happening. So, again, it goes right back to what is the risk to the NAS? I think some of this we might be overthinking it. You know, when you get to stuff that's like made of foam and under two pounds, now I can't say with any certainty because I don't have the data myself, but, uh, you know, we, we may be overdoing it. Do we need the equivalent level of certification both for pilots and aircraft if the 
don't pose uh, the equivalent risk? That's my well, question I, I, to the community. It, again, I mean, I, I meant to say we need empirical data, not that, that you know those, those categories were based on empirical data. We need to get out there and do the experimentation like, like you have discussed in the past, Patrick. You just can't pull numbers out of the air without some sort of scientific validity to back them up. Impact studies, kinetic energy studies, uh, and, and none of that's been undertaken. No, and nobody's going to buy feelings. You know, I, I don't care who, you know, you, you can't go to the Congress and say, hey, we want to do airspace integration. And well, is it safe? Because if I sign off on this, I could lose my career. Uh, well, yeah, I think it's safe, or I feel like it's safe, worthless. And then, you know, we, we are going to run. <laughs> I want to talk about some more uh, numbers, some of them real and some of them fake, and I think that's a good segue because we could go on for another hour about that deal. But I want to talk a little bit about the 1,000 Section 333 exemptions. Now, mm. I'm going to throw it to Gene first because I know, Gene, you're, you, you're in for one. Right. Yeah, and uh, I just got noticed today that uh, it's not going to be coming as quickly as I thought it was going to be, which was a surprise. But um, yeah. under the circumstances, they they probably have thousands that they have to review. I I was a little disappointed since uh, you know I wrote one of the first COAs that they ever accepted back in 2008. You know, I kind of thought I might fall into that category of already having been reviewed so it could be expedited and uh, apparently I was I was dead wrong on that one so well, you know, I want yeah I, there's a lot more coming yeah but I want people to understand this too I don't think people understand the history part of this too and I, and I want to I, I gotta pause here and hit the history part of this now when they came up with this whole COA nonsense uh, I mean uh, this COA scheme uh, and they website and the FAA was like yeah we're going to make this it's going to be kind of a digital thing you could come to the website and fill out this COA application who helped them with that Gene I spent a weekend debugging that system using my my programmer analyst skills as I recall yeah that was I guess yeah I helped with that <laughs> and you're still waiting for your section 333 exemption yeah I think you know, that's one of the things here at SUS News. I talk about this all the time. People are like, oh, you know, this guy's an expert, and that guy's everything he's got. And I'm not deriding you now, Colin, but, you know, drone in your Twitter handle. I mean, I have it in my Twitter handle, and I make fun of it all the time. But when I say empirical knowledge and, and know-how and all the rest of that, this is exactly what I'm talking about right there. And that's the people that you, you hear from SUS News. So you're still waiting, and I'm, I'm you know, we're, we're waiting for the day when that happens. But, um, Colin, do you think that constitutes an industry, a thousand of these? Or, or let's say even just the way these are trickling out at 50 a week or, or whatever. What, what's your observation on that? Uh, well, so, you know, they've got more than 2,300 exemption applications. But uh, whether it's an industry or not, technically it's not, right? But, but. Uh, yes, you know, technically, right, there, there's no uh, NAIC standard, there's no SICK code for, for drones or, you know, uh, there's one for aircraft and, um, you know, but a commercial drone, you know, is it a camera, is it software, is it electronic hardware, is it an aircraft, 
you know, uh, I'm not sure that a code is really going to help and make it an industry, but but we tend to think of ourselves as an industry. Let's just think of it as an insider for a second. We tend to think of it, you know, as, as an industry, albeit a nascent one with, you know, a couple of hundred uh, or so manufacturers and, you know, a few thousand service providers worldwide. But but it's important to think of it as an industry, on the other hand, because, you know, this is how you study things. You 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 understand um, the factors and limitations for growth, and you look at, um, you know, like-to-like companies, so you can compare them to evaluate their attractiveness for, for um, investment purposes uh, or acquisition. So in that sense, the answer is yes, because we do have similar companies operating with, within a value chain. You've got a dedicated ecosystem of legal and insurance and education, software providers, hardware providers. You've got data service companies. You've got press and analysts. Let's not forget analysts. You've got dedicated research analysts. So, you know, in that sense, it's sort of a, it's a, and you got news providers, right? SQAS News have been around a long time. So in that sense, it, it is sort of an industry, but, but um, you know, a thousand, comp, you know, a thousand um, approved Section 333s really doesn't make it a, 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 a viable, you know, economically thriving industry. We're still taking it. And we have to remember, too, this is a regulated industry. That's the first thing I try to tell people is, you know, oh, drones are great. It's like the PCs. It's like Apple was way back in the day. I'm going, mm, no. No, it's aviation, and it's, and it's regulated. And yet that's a Highly animal. regulated. Yeah. Right. So right. Um, and, uh, keep going. Go ahead. Now, well, well, I mean, you know, you're hitting on uh, on all the right points. Uh, you know, it's again, people are, oh, we got to we can get data now, we can model things. I, I'm not really a modeler, and uh, in the scientific, I mean, models are good, but boy, you know, I I think it's going to be hard to get data on a thousand people or operators or whatever. Uh, the other thing with that is, is I am just not happy with the way uh, it is all put together. I'm not happy with the Pathfinder thing. I, if you've got criteria for the three people that got that are part of the Pathfinder thing, there's criteria for those those people. And, and I'm not going to name names, but I'm going to say one of the companies that's got a cobbled together RC aircraft, then you should have criteria for everyone or anyone that's credible and actually has more experience in the field, there should be criteria for them to uh, also be pathfinders and work on beyond visual line of sight. That's yeah. me. Yeah. Um, the yeah, other my, thing my, is, big, is, my big thing is, you know, do we really want to build a system designed around re- Amazon's retail domination play, right? Is, is that, is that uh, what we want no. to do? Yeah. No. No. Well, just because, I mean, again, I look at that, and, you know, this is going to be another economic thing, but I look at their aircraft. I think the aircraft's going to be the easy part. I think it's mm-hmm. the software that's the hard part. Yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, again, we're talking about numbers and reliability and something, you know, okay, if if the ALPA is listened to and we're going to do commercial operations, we're talking 10 to the minus 9. That is, that's just like almost no failures. You know, uh, it, it's it's a crazy high number, but um, you know, I don't know. But as we're running long, I want to hit this one. Do you you think out of these, you know, I, I've seen reports of the first five hundred and and a thousand, and I mean, you don't think there's enough data to discern any real economic value in this industry, Colin? No, not yet. No, and 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 it's what's interesting about it is. 
when you actually look at the data and you actually look very deep into it, um, and let's get beyond the hype again, um, you know, and, and, and the spin, uh, you look down into the data and you look at the activity, you have to look at where that activity is taking place. So when you look at the first 500 or the first 1,000 and you look at where, what are most of those companies, well, they're aerial photography and video. Okay, well, so let's do some simple math, right? You do some simple math regarding, um, you know, how much money they make. And, and you have a like industry. Photography has been, hap- you know, that's a small business that's been happening for years. You have all these independent uh, photographers on the ground. Um, you do have some aerial photography businesses. But you look at that in general, and you look at how much money they, uh, they generate um, you know, the average operator, and this is average. Remember, it's not the high end and the low. It's because some people are going to make more and less of this. It's about a hundred to $125,000 in sales. Well, when you do the simple math and you, you say, okay, well, uh, you got a thousand operators. And AOVSI came out with a report, right? The first 500. And they say, well, there's going to be 25,000 commercial operators in five years. Okay. Let's just say they're right. Let's do the simple math. If the average operator makes $125,000 in sales, you only get to about $3.1 billion. You certainly don't get to the big, you know, uh, 89 or, you know, uh, $82 billion that they say is, is going to happen. And, you know, and the other thing that's fuzzy about this, too, and sorry, I'm, this, this, is, this, is, this is what drives me crazy, because I see these forecasts all the time, and, and they just drive me absolutely nuts. And, and um, uh, you know, you see that, that you know, well, ABSI thinks that, you know, ag is going to be 80% of the market, right? Well, so you look at these first one, 500 or, or 1,000, huh, holy cow, there's a very small percentage that's ag. Well, that's because if you really were following it and if you really looked at what people were doing, you would notice that no matter how you spin it, film, photo, and video, it's the largest application market for commercial drones. So, uh, and that's proven out now. Right, you're proving it out by seeing who's applying. And if you look at the from 500 to 1,000, those people that have come out in the last have been approved in the last say month or so. The majority of those now are are are, are aerial photography and film, photo, and video, and they're doing real estate and they're just doing you know, except because these are people with and and they're they're taking phantom visions. Uh, you know, when you look at the end numbers and you look at the numbers and you look at it and you get, they're taking cheap aircraft then with, you know, okay cameras and putting them up and, and they're adding it to their business and people are doing it. And that's great. That's economic activity, but it isn't a lack of a lot, right? It's not this well, you know, amount of, that, that was predicted. Well, this is true. And the other thing is I noticed in the first 500 report, not that I'm being critical, but I didn't – it looks like somebody might have uh, – Lifted the data from one of the universities that went out first and and did a report on this because I'm 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 seeing another instance of where there's a, if you total up all of the dimensions and the percentages we're back up to 146 percent of the market. Yeah, I don't know if you know. Yeah, well, that. they may not teach at, at that college the difference between the percentage of total and the percentage chosen, right? So, <laughs> just saying. I don't know. You may want to qualify that, but I, well, you know, I'm giving it 100. We, we corrected that. You know, we 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 said, hey, we questioned it. We questioned the the label on the column total and said, you know, Ed, this 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 doesn't add up. Well, you know, the label. No, yeah. Well, the funny That's thing. That's new math, guys. Come on. 
It is new math, and it's funny. Is Veronica, my uh, assistant, caught that one, and she's like, "Wait a minute!" And then emailed them and said, "Hey, you might want to do." That. And then they tried to lambaste her on Twitter, like she didn't know what she was talking about. Good thing she grabbed screenshots before they put the two disclaimers on there. But yeah, anyway, it looks yeah. like somebody else lifted that. But you know, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is, uh, you know, and I'm sure you've seen my tweets where I've got the source material, <clears throat> a stack of telephone books when I'm making my. Um, my predictions of, of what this industry is going to be and how much it's going to be worse. It's totally crazy. I don't, I think it's a disservice uh, to me. I think it's a disservice to talk like telephone numbers about the industry. Although I will say, you know, it's kind of funny people talk about the numbers that the FAA came up with. And I, one of the first guys that got called on that was me. Hey, how many are we going to have? How many, how many, how many of these commercial operators are we going to have in five years or whatever? And I said, well, really, I can't even give you a number. Well, why not? Well, I can't give you a number because it's regulatory dependent. You know, mm-hmm. um, if you guys come out with something that's in the like in the SUAS ARC recommendations, which were horrible, then you're really not going to have a lot of people doing this. You know, if they're more liberal and you, you know, you don't, uh, let's say the barriers of entry aren't really expensive and aircraft certification and commercial pilot's license and that's done away with, then you're going to have a lot more. But I can't give you any real number, you know, um, or even a good and educated guess because, yeah, yeah, you don't know, you can't, you just, you know, we don't know what it is. It's like groping around in the dark. So, and it is regulatory, and it is, it is regulatory dependent. Oh, totally. And people say, well, you know, and here's the deal. Here's how Washington works, too. It's funny. I mean, I, I, on my own personal thing, I do some political tweeting because, you know what, I've been inside the belly of the beast here with the, the uh, federal thing, and it's a complete – and it, it's not even a dog and pony show with the curtain and all the rest of that. I mean, this thing is – I got an, I've gotten an education. But I will say that basically everything is like made-up numbers to drive people to do stuff. And and it's like if you don't give a high enough number, then no one's going to be interested. Well, what's the point of that? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's total nonsense. And you know, uh, they think that they're doing some the right thing because there's some made up numbers. Oh well, there's going to be this many operators. Well, then we have this draconian regulation. There's still going to be that many operators. So let's just go ahead with what we got. I think it does a disservice to the community overall. And I tell people, I don't know what you tell people, but I tell people, be careful the forecast you use in your business plan because if somebody does even cursory search or a little bit of research on that forecast, they may think that you're a flim-flam person. Colin, what do you say? Oh, well, well I, so I get emails all the time from people who, who find me either on Twitter or you know just doing a search, and they, and they say, look, I'm going to go all in on this thing. Tell me what I should be doing. No, really, they say oh, they're life savings. And I've I heard their it. Wives, their wives write me and tell me, you know, and ask me questions for, you know, where, what drone, you know, school should I go to? And, uh, you know, uh, really, they are. And I, 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 I'm, it's, it's heartbreaking to me because, again, it goes back to that, um, you know, issue of, of, of hype and, and um, you know this this cognitive dissonance that that we've got with you know um, you know uh, the bias that we have in Silicon Valley and um, I, I just it, it it it's heartbreaking because I, I see people and I tell them no don't you know be careful don't do it don't judge everything you know start small um, you know 
see if you can get a job working for somebody who's providing a service. Learn, come in, you know, come into the industry slow, but don't please don't put all your chips on the table and 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 go in. Well, you know, at least you have a, a an upfront deal. I usually get the call, you know, I do some consulting and I usually get the call after they've already been flim-flammed out of their money. <laughs> <laughs> I paid some guy, you know, and you're like, oh, Jesus, you paid him. Yeah, and he told me that this was going to be, and I bought this report, and then I went and I did a business plan, and I mortgaged the house, and I got an SBA, and I'm like, (sighs) Those reports are expensive. You know, those reports are expensive. They're anywhere from two to $5,000, and I've written about this, and it's on SUAS News, and and you can see it. It's it's diversity and hype in in the drone forecast. (laughs) And uh, um, you know, the, the first conversation I have with people, either either as you've done, you know, with people who have already made the investment or are thinking about it, is look, the the proposed rules are going to are the are one of the gating factors as to in in the adoption of whether it's going to be successful in the industry, and it impacts each individual market in a different way. And so I'm just going to put in a shameless plug for myself. I just did a report um, and put it out there, the state of the industry, um, you know, and it's a cheap report. It's, you know, it's less than 500 bucks. Um, you can go and buy it and see what, what industries are going to do well and what industries are not going to do well. So I give a good, you know, overview of the entire industry and um, the regulatory environment, what, uh, based on the proposed rules, which industries and and segments will do well, and which one are going to be challenged? Um, and uh, you know, and that's what I tell people when you start to do forecasts. If you want to get into this business and you want to uh, offer either a drone service or, or or a piece of software or something that's specific to an application or a data service or something, think very carefully about what segment you're going to go into because of the regulations. Because each you, you know. It's going to impact um, the outcome and the forecast. And if you want a real forecast, if you really want one, right, you're going to have to do your homework. You're going to have to sit down and look at the the gating factors that determine the adoption of drones in a particular market. And ag is the one that I always point to because it isn't just about drones. Drones aren't going to transform agriculture. People have been doing NDVI for years. They did, they've been doing that since Landsat. You know, back back in the late six, late 70s, uh, um, that data has been available. So, so you know, drones are going to transform. There's other things like very the adoption of variable rate technology that that's going to actually um, be the gating factor in determining whether uh, drone the data from drones is even usable. Right? You can have all the greatest data usable in the world, but if the farmer or the grower doesn't have variable rate technology. It doesn't do much for them. Hey, well, sorry, get off my eye horse here. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's true because I see, you know, this is another thing I watched. I actually, I, you know, at first I was not an early adopter of Twitter, but now I love Twitter, and I see these declarations. Oh, drones are going to, you know, it's not really about drones. It's about data. You yeah. know, and I'm like, oh, thank the good Lord. Somebody figured it out. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm sitting over here thinking it was about the drones this whole time going to have farm <laughs> drones and I'm going to have like space drones and, and all these other drones, you know, uh, you know, it, again, um, I think people need to get educated about the market. It's exciting. And I watch people. It's funny is, 
it cracks me up as I watch people when they, they see friends that they haven't seen in years, and they're like, oh, what are you up to these days? Well, I'm in drones. Really? Wow. It's like, you know, it's like you're like some, you know, you know, I don't know, like, uh, you know, Richard Branson or something, you know, this technology guy. But I think it's kind of funny. And then, but I wanted to back up just a little bit. Gene, what are the phone calls that you get? When do you, when do the people call you? For their all of the stuff money, that you guys have, spending? all of, all of the stuff that you guys have touched on uh, is exactly it. You know, where do I start? How do I do it? And I get it from the law enforcement end of it. I get it from the search and rescue end of it. I mean, obviously, uh, and as a matter of fact, I, I just met with a sheriff uh, just day before yesterday and what they wanted to do. And uh, you get down to the mission profiles and you get down to, it is, it's really the data. All we're doing is, is you know, pick your truck, pick your vehicle, pick, you know, which one will get you there from point A to point B, and that's your data collection platform. And... You know, I, I I like to fly and wing, but by the time I got done talking to the sheriff, the, the best thing that I could tell him to do was go get a quadcopter because that's what you need. So, yeah, I mean, I, you, you hear it all, and it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, there are folks that are really putting out some hard-earned money that they're going to end up, you know, putting out more hard-earned money to, to try to get back. So well, it's I've got one of those things that... Uh, well, anybody that wants to learn about making money with drones can send me a check for $1,000, and I will tell them how to make some money with drones. <laughs> uh, my contact information is on the SUS News website. I'm available at all times. So, you know, <clears throat> anyway, I don't have any snake oil for sale. This is the real deal. But, um, all right, and then one last thing. We went real long, but that's okay. That's the beauty of the podcast being recorded. You can shut it off and go feed the dog or whatever you have to do. You touched on the EASA thing, Colin, real quick. I want to touch on that, the proposed amendment. Um, this is another, um, let's say, milestone in the many milestones of how far ahead the Europeans are uh, in front of the FAA. And now, just even a couple of years ago, for some historical perspective, the FAA, we're leading the way. AUVSI, we're leading the way. And I told both groups uh, that you might, you might want to tone that down on when you go to Europe on the junket because you're going to sound stupid because you're not leading the way. And there was even, I think there was a little bit of a low in the, in the uh, global travel because people started to realize that we were not making the progress here that they were making in Europe. And so without really even getting too deep into the uh, proposed amendments, which people are asked to give feedback on, what, do, what, what does it say to you, Colin, face value? What, what is this saying to you? Well, it, it doesn't surprise me that the Europeans are already ahead of it because they've already had commercial operations going for a while. So, you know, we are behind. I mean, it's just this is we're we're way behind. You know, I, you're, you're aware that I did a study in 2014 that that looked at, um, you know, whether people were operating or not operating, and 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 one of the things that that I see is that it, it, it because we're behind and we're lagging and we're not we don't have these you know open categories categories of of risk. Um, you know, uh, and uh, for for safety, what it what it's done is it's forced uh, the businesses underground. You know, Section 333 has come forward yeah. and 
you know, a lot of people are, are you know, going that route because they want to sort of, quote, be legal or, you know, unquote. But even there, there's sort of a fuzzy line because there's really no follow-up that says, are you really, do you really have your pilot's license? So it gets yep. granted. But then there's this huge amount of operators that are out there that are flying, quote, under the radar, unquote, but they're operating in, you know, in, in, in the gray market or the black market, whatever, you, underground economy, whatever you want to call it. The longer it goes, the longer we don't put that in place, the more there is of that. Now, what I heard from people in Europe and, and in Australia and elsewhere is because there are regulations in place, you have less of that underground economy. So, um I, I don't know. You know, this is this is where I just think we're we're behind. They also have enforcement, though, as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They do have enforcement, but you are you're on. You know, it was funny. That was one thing at the UGM. One of the I would call the old guard, a uh, guy I've known for many many years since I started in this thing, was there and was like, well, you know, pretty soon you're going to probably be able to get back to aerial photography. You know, and it's kind of what I told the SAA. It's like, look. There are people out there that are buying all this equipment. They're out there doing the jobs. They got the market share, all the rest of that. For me to restart a business, relaunch a business mm. I had going in 2003, I'm going to be at such a disadvantage. It's not even going to be funny. I got a learning yeah. curve. Yeah. I got an equipment curve. I got a marketing curve. You know, it's going to cost me more money to get into the business than it's worth. And that's not really where I'm at anymore. That was where I was at you know, 12 years ago, not there really now. And I think that that's kind of funny. But again, that's another thing is, is the enforcement part of this. Got to tell you, uh, I called over to the JFK FAA office and left a message. Um, you know, they had three sightings in one day. But it was like a four-hour span, okay? And I left a message. Did anyone go out there? Did, it, did we pick up the binos and look? Did we go out there? Did anybody do anything? You know, did we take statements from the pilots? What, you know? No callback. So no, but it made the press. You know, <laughs> it's in the press. It's in the press. But you know what? To me, it's like, look, you wanted this. I told the FAA this early on. You want all this stuff. You want to grow the business. You want to. You you want to include everything as aircraft. Yada yada yada. Be careful what you wish for, because this is not going to be ramp checking people. And even and it goes back to people saying in the industry, well, we need to curb this and we need to do that and we need to geofence and we need to and if the geofencing is anything like with the cell phones and the rest of that, that's that's not worth uh, that's not worth anything as far as I'm concerned. But that's not my job to limit my industry or police my own industry. The FAA wanted that, they begged for it, they fought for it, they got it. Get out there and take care of it. And the same with uh, the industry. You know, if I go out there and start my business as an aerial photographer and I get the license and that 333 and the insurance and all the rest of that, uh, you, you have another 3,000 guys behind you that don't have the license, don't have the insurance. You know, it's a totally unfair economic advantage, disadvantage because the FAA is not enforcing their own, um, you know, policy. So I just don't there, – there are so many sliding scales. And those, that's another thing I think feeds right back into analyzing the market and what it's worth. You, you know, you can't you – know, nobody can tell you how big it is. No one has any idea. All I know is, is the Chinese are selling these things like hotcakes. Mm. And uh, everybody's buying them, and they're all over the place. I see drones everywhere, man. So, and I think with that, we'll kind of close it. So, Colin, you have a closing comment. No, uh, well, I'm uh, just going to uh, add to that. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think it's it's it is um, uh, one of the things we're seeing from the data that's coming out from the Section 333s is the overwhelming amount of of uh, of, of Chinese aircraft that are are um, getting registered in N numbers and are and are being used in businesses. And 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 I don't think that the regulators or even the people who you know the experts are have have looked at that yet. And uh, um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens and becomes of that. And Gene. And uh, to add to your comment, Colin, that all of those aircraft are unsecured and they send information back to their host on every flight and every place that you take that aircraft off. Most law enforcement agencies and other agencies don't know that, but we need mm -hmm. to get the word out there as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, those are those are some more, I think, let's say, things that people don't understand about this technology that we could talk about into the future. It is, you know, I've said that too, because now there's, you know, there are rumors floating around at UTM that there may be some issues working with Chinese companies and stuff. But you can, you cannot have it both ways. You just yeah. can't. I mean, the the manufacturing. I, I tried to think about this, and this is one other thing we might want to take a guess. And I don't want to just single out one company, but say the consumer grade um, drone that goes for let's say fifteen hundred dollars now that's it's imported. What do you think that would cost to manufacture in the United States, Colin? Oh gosh, it would be three times that. And if it had to follow any kind of certification as an aircraft, uh, ten times. Oh yeah, oh yeah, significant. Gene, so yeah. Because that's what I, I, I said that I, you know, if you, you try to do this domestically, you're looking five seven grand for just a consumer based deal. But that's not even with certification. Yeah. I don't think people the certification, the DO one seven eight certification that we were talking about estimates are, and this is not development or uh, writing or anything like that or verifying certification hundred dollars a line of code for the DO one seven eight variants. Mm -hmm. um, I asked one company how many lines of code they had and they told me they had five very long ones. <laughs> Which I thought was a very good a very good very good answer. Uh, is that gonna keep the certification cost down? But uh I mean it's 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 monumental. It's a ton of money. But anyway we gotta wrap it up because we're almost at an hour. Um we're gonna have to have <laughs> you back on Colin. Thank you for being here. Um and it, it was a good conversation as they always are. Great. Well, thank you for having me. Well, one thing before you go, give people the website. Come on, shameless plug. Okay, shameless plug. It's it's droneanalyst.com. Very simple, droneanalyst.com. Well, we know my dad didn't come up with that website name. It's going to have been something totally obscure and long that would be hard to uh, mention. But anyway, yeah. that's another story for another time. Gene, thanks for being on as always. Um, a great conversation again today. This this stuff every every episode is just gold, you know. Can't you can't miss. A lot of good info, right, gentlemen. Exactly. I will. Uh, we'll see you again soon. Thanks everyone for listening. All right. Have a good one. Okay. Bye. All right.